Welcome back to Wake Up with Nubian Tigers Talk, a podcast brought to you by a group of Black Princeton alumni, where we talk about issues that impact our real Black and Brown communities. This episode is the second and concluding part of our conversation with Mark Robinson and Ray Smaltz on their recently published book, Place of Privilege, Young, Black, and in an Unexpected Place of Privilege. So, so Ray, I'm going to put a, a, a slightly different spin on it for you because you also had the athletic piece to it. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about what the uh, some of the expectations were for you because you were also an athlete. Well, the, here's the interesting thing. You know, when as Mark uh, recounted, you know, when they started allowing Black boys into the school, one of the things that was important for Donna Barr also was to have competitive sports teams. And so the advent uh, uh, or, and the introduction of black boys into Dalton, um, <clears throat> they felt it was a necessity. And so, uh, but I came in in middle school. So no one knew, you know, whether I was an athlete or whether I wasn't an athlete. Um, they just knew I was black and I was tall and they made a bunch of assumptions. Now, uh, my mom didn't even allow me, Michelle, to play sports in seventh grade. I played nothing. So she said, I mean, I mean, much like Mark's parents, you know, you're there to do one thing only, and that is to get an education. We'll see how you do your first year. And after the first year, if you do well, then I'll let you play sports. So I didn't even play football and basketball until eighth grade. But once I started to play, that's when the high school folks and the folks in administration saw me and they saw my potential. And so that triggered, um, just their plans uh, for me, uh, you know, when I was finally uh, uh, entering into, into high school and could now play on the varsity teams. I mean, during the, um, after basketball season was over, which was like sometime in February or March uh, without schedule, um, I was playing basketball against the high schoolers uh, and I was about, you know, still 13 years old, okay? And we're banging on on the weekends over there at Dalton. Um, and it was all prepping me for, for my introduction into the varsity basketball team and as well football team uh, going into my ninth grade. But um, nobody had any idea. And I wasn't there on scholarship, uh, athletic scholarship. I mean, whether it's quite as it was kept, Dalton had athletic scholarships, okay? I mean, when they reached out to grab, you know, uh, black guys from the various boroughs. They even did it with white athletes. They went into public schools in certain neighborhoods to grab white athletes to bring them in for their football, basketball, and baseball teams. Um, But it wasn't until probably that I got into high school where the assumptions about me being black led to everyone assuming that I was an athlete and that I was there on athletic scholarship. And so that as Mark some said, for you. yeah, yeah, and yeah, as Mark sorry. said, that I needed extra help. Now I was, you know, I didn't need any extra help. I wasn't getting tutored. I mean, a lot of guys were getting extra tutoring and classes. I didn't have to, you know. So when practice was over, I went home. So share with us right quick um, what happened when you decided not to play sports anymore. Yeah, uh, that's a long story. And as you told me to be concise on the show today, be concise. <laughs> I'm going to do my best. But um, I had um, intentions of uh, working with a, a tutorial program in Harlem uh, that uh, a friend of ours had um, uh, started. 
And we were going to change from the summer school and make it into an, uh, a school, uh, after school program for the kids. And so I went to uh, first my uh, football coach and told him, you know, I'm not playing. And this was my sophomore year. This was after. Now, again, you know, my mom didn't let me play uh, football my first year, freshman year at Dalton to see how I would do in high school. I did well. She let me play basketball. So I started on the basketball team my freshman year. Sophomore year came around. This is when we were changing and working uh, in my summer program. And um, I told my coach I'm not playing and all hell broke loose. And I, I mean, I had to speak with him in his office. I had to speak with the athletic director together with the coach. And then I had to speak with the, uh, the head of the high school, uh, Dimitri Sevastopolo. And so all three of them were pounding on me my quote unquote obligation to compete and play on the team for the school. Okay. And, um, and so this angered me to no end. And uh, I kept telling everybody, no, they kept telling me what I had to do. And we were, we got to a standstill. So ultimately I ended up going to Donald Barr, who Mark mentioned uh, the headmaster's office. And a funny thing happened. You know, I thought I was going to, I thought it was going to be the Inquisition and I was going to be sitting there with all three of the uh, heads of the, the school and the coaches and Donald Barr. But Donald Barr told everyone else to leave the room so he could talk to me one on one, which was I'm, I mean, I was all ready to kind of like, you know, swell up and start throwing fists and what have you. But anyhow, Donald Barr listened to my story and he said, Good luck with your program. Uh, I wish you the great a great success. And that was it. And I didn't play. And from then on, I was persona non grata uh, to the athletic uh, group at the school, as well as a lot of the administration. Okay, so we're, we're going to come back to that question for you and Mark around the college counseling issue. But um, Mark, I want to ask you, um, it's apparent from the book that you became the the recorder of the history of Dawson while you were there because you were a photographer uh, and you were behind the camera, not necessarily in the midst of the social events like Ray, but you were behind the camera uh, um, making a record of all of the things that happened. And I'm wondering, um, because of your experience of having been put into these uh, situations where you didn't have friends or whatever you were exposed to, <laughs> you know, these all white institutions, whether that uh, created a place of comfort for you so that you were sort of at the place, but not necessarily of the place, you know what I mean? So what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I don't know that I would say it was a place of comfort, but it was a place of refuge. Um, and, and it was able, you know, it legitimized the fact that I was a loner. It, it legitimized the fact that, you know, it was okay to just be on my own, sort of relating to and interacting with the school. And I, as you said, I became sort of a recorder of um, what was happening in the day-to-day -day life of the school, because I was very much interested in candid photography, capturing the moment um, and the authenticity of that moment and the truth behind that moment. And a lot of the pictures that I took, um, you know, I, I think did a very good job of capturing and representing that truth. And I think Ray will tell you that some of his favorite pictures of himself 
are pictures that I took that really show the real Ray and what he was feeling on the inside, oh, not yeah. just showing on the outside. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my dad was a photographer, but I didn't know that back then when I was in high school. I didn't really learn about that until after I had sort of become a photographer and he shared that with me because um, he had been a photographer um, before he got married. And then when he and my mom went away on their honeymoon, all their, his photographic equipment was stolen. Oh. And he just did not have the money to replace anything. Right, right. His career vanished overnight. Right. He, you know, he had to give up the profession that he loved. Right, right. You know, the economic situation makes such a difference for us as people. Mm -hmm. But, I, 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 you know, time is always flowing. So I'm going to uh, try to wrap up with these two questions. Now, both of you uh, had an experience that many of us who went to the specialized high schools, uh, the public high schools in New York City also experienced. When we got to our senior year, when uh, our guidance counselors were supposed to be giving us the same advice they were given to the white kids about where to go and what competitive colleges to apply to, we weren't encouraged to apply to any competitive colleges. And mm -hmm. in the book, you both talk about that as well. So quickly, very quickly, just uh, give us an example of what happened with you guys. Um, I am kind of OCD about planning and organizing my thoughts and, and, and so forth. And so when I was planning my college applications, I did all this research, sent away for all the brochures and whatnot, did a chart on which schools I was thinking about and made my list of schools that I wanted to apply to. And I went to the college counselor with my list and said, look at this work that I did. And he looked at it and said, you are wasting my time and your parents' money with this list. And I was crestfallen. Um, you know, A, that he didn't appreciate how much hard work went into the creation of this list, and B, that he was really just sort of um, denigrating the idea that I was a candidate, a legitimate candidate for these schools, most of which were Ivy League schools that I aspired to. Um, and, you know, I was a very self-confident, cocky kid, but when a college counselor says to you, no, you don't have a shot at any of these, you do kind of have to ask yourself, am I kidding myself? Does he know more than I do about this? Am I setting myself up for a huge disappointment? But I thought about it and I said, thank you for your advice. I think I got this on my own. I'm not coming back to talk to you again. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Good for you. How about you, uh, Ray? Well, you know, for me, it was a little bit different because of me playing sports all those years. Everyone assumed I was going to play in college and on an athletic scholarship. But by the time I got done at Dalton, I hated sports. And I hated sports because of how Dalton treated me during my time playing sports. And so uh, when it came time for college, uh, I sat down and, and De Dennis Phillips, who is the guy that uh, the teacher that Mark is talking about, happened to be my homeroom advisor as well. So I saw him every morning at eight o'clock or eight thirty and, you know, was in and out, uh, you know, before I could even say hello to him. And uh, when so when I sat down with him, he's like, well, so you're going to play football or basketball. Right. And I was like, no. So then he looked at me and said, then how do you expect to get into a good school? And I said, 
because I'm a good student. And that was the end of the conversation because he didn't think I could go to any Ivy League schools. I had a list similar to Mark, you know, I mean, at that point in time, like you're all seniors and you're bumping into each other and you're saying, well, where did you apply and, and what place did you go to and where do you think you can get into? And in my mind at that point, I had my one of my best buddies was in Princeton and that was my target. That was the, the target for me. Other than that, it was Columbia. It was Brown. It was um, even Amherst was on my list where Mark went to. And uh, but my advisor, Dennis Phillips, he said, you're probably not going to be able to get into any of them. Yeah. You know, and the sad part about that story is that happened to us as well. And when I, 20 years later, was advising some young Black women, girls who were going to Hunter College High School, they were told the same thing. Uh, we were all told to go to CUNY. And the guidance counselors were still telling the Black girls at Hunter to go to CUNY, even though the white kids were going to the Ivies and so forth and so on. Um, so I'm going to wrap it up with this last question, which is kind of a cheat because it's a combination question, but <laughs> um, many of us who went to these predominantly white experiences experienced uh, very, uh, I, I'll call it emotional trauma <laughs> in the environment uh, because, because we were one of very few Black people attending these types of schools. Um, from your perspective, was the trauma worth it in the end? Did what you got from Dalton make up for the trauma you experienced going through Dalton? And then finally, I'd like to hear from both of you um, how you think your ex the telling of your experiences are relevant to what is happening today. Um, and that, that should pretty much take us to the end. Well, I'm a big boxing fan. It's the one sport I really love. And in boxing, the the referee tells the fighters, protect yourself at all times. And that is the lesson that I learned at Dalton and that I want to pass on to other black students. Protect yourself at all times because a swing and a punch is going to come at you when you least expect it and probably from the school. Um, but Dalton taught me that. And Dalton taught me how to survive that and overcome that. And so was it worth it? For me, I believe it was worth it. It wasn't easy. It was often painful, but it was worth it. Right. My mother had the foresight to enter me into this kind of environment because she knew this was where I was going to be able to make my own way. If I knew and learned how to handle these folks you know, as a young man, then I know I would know and, and I'd be able to handle these folks as an adult. And that I'm talking about the white society. And so, I, you know, I didn't realize that at the time as a kid. But later on, as I became an adult, you know, I had to give it to my mom because she had already experienced far more than I ever would. But she knew and, and she anticipated that this was the structure that was going to help me succeed. Otherwise, I would have fallen victim to drugs and, and, and the other stuff that was going on in the neighborhood, and I would have never gotten out alive. So, so not everybody's gonna, not all black kids are gonna be able to go to Dalton or Bronx High School of Science or Hunter or Stuyvesant or Brooklyn Tech. Um, what, what can our black children who don't get educated in these elite predominantly white uh, institutions take 
from the lessons that you guys uh, learned? What's 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 the takeaway for our kids on the educational issue? Ray, you want to go first? Um, I think that um, there are there are issues no matter what school you go to. Okay, it's just how are they affecting you on a daily basis? Um, public school kids are going through the issues of lack of equipment, lack of uh, textbooks, lack of resources. Um, we didn't have that issue with Dalton. Dalton had everything we could ever want and hope for. And so, um, but what they, but what those public school kids learn more than probably we do is how to get over, how to get by, you know, how to how to do things with less. And so I admire a lot of those kids that come from public school because if they are high achievers, they've probably worked a lot harder to become a high achiever than, I'm not saying that Mark and I were not high achievers, but we had the best education money could buy um, at, at that point. And today with uh, public schools having less and less resources, and now uh, you couple the pandemic with it, I, I think we, uh, I think there is a generation right now that's in big big trouble and they will not be able to have the tools and the wherewithal to to get any kind of jobs or any professions where you know they're going to do well at all or if they if their goal is to make money it's going to be a very difficult process for them and i worry i'm concerned myself i think that no matter what school you go to whether it's the very best school or the best they can do school. Um, there are gonna be people there who wanna help you and people there who wanna stand in your way. And what you have to do is be your own advocate. Say, I know what I need, um, or, or I, I try to know what I need and I need to fight for that. And for those people who wanna help me, I wanna make sure, absolutely damn sure, you know I want your help and I welcome your help. And for those people who are standing in my way, I'm gonna do something about that too. Be an advocate for yourself, be a warrior for yourself, for your education and for your own personal success. Those are great final words to wrap up with. And I wanna thank you guys so much for participating on the show. That was uh, wonderful, you know, and it's, um, I think it's helpful for everybody just to know what what we all go through uh, in order to um, be valued or not even valued isn't a good word, but to make our way in this world that is so anti-Black and mm -hmm. so against any progress in our community. Mm -hmm. And yet, no matter what obstacle you put in front of us, whether it's the tuition bill or uh, a teacher who doesn't believe you can excel or a teacher who thinks you should just shut up and play sports, that right. we can create our own worlds and make our own achievements. And I think you two guys are uh, wonderful examples of that. Thank you so much for the book. Again, the book is called uh, A Place of Privilege, Young, Black, and in an Unexpected Place of Privilege. Um, so we'll put the links for all of that on the resource page for the at the website. And thank you again so much for participating in our show. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks for having me on. Until uh, our next podcast, Michelle. Yeah, I'll be <laughs> the next podcast, Rick. <laughs> Thanks so much.
I'd like to thank Mark Robinson and, and our own dear Ray Smalls for discussing their new book, Place of Privilege, Young, Black, and in an Unexpected Place of Privilege, the story of their experiences as young Black students in a predominantly white elite school in New York. Join us next time for a discussion with Dr. Katrina Peters and Dr. Debbie Jordan on mental health issues for pretrial detainees during COVID. If you enjoyed what you heard today, visit our website, NubianTigersPodcast.com. In addition to the podcast, we also post a resource page for each subject to provide additional information to our listeners. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Nubian Tigers, written as one word. We're also on YouTube on the Nubian Tigers podcast channel. Our podcast is hosted by Anchor FM, but if you have a favorite podcast app, we're probably on it. Just look for Nubian Tigers Talk. Looking forward to sharing some knowledge with you next time. Wake up, wake up, wake up.